Uh, I'd like to change the heading for our second session. As I prepared, I thought instead of calling it his letter life, we should call it uh, True It the Businessman. True It the Businessman. And uh, to begin, I want to uh, quote from uh, this same book, uh, for those of you who are seeing it on the screen, How Did You Do It? True It. How Did You Do It? True It. And uh, this is what he says. We all know that the scorecard of any business is the profit it produces. Without profit, we cannot take care of our employees, our families, or contribute to the betterment of our communities. The question is, how do we balance the pursuit of profit and personal character? For me, I find that that balance by applying biblical principles. I see no conflict between biblical principles and good business practice. And that's where I want us to begin. We ended our last session by appreciating the fact that Truett was a deeply godly man. He did not leave church on Sunday and then take off his spiritual clothes and then put on his worldly clothes and then go into business and function like any shrewd businessman. He, he, he remained a Christian and therefore took that into his uh, business world as he was running his chain of um, uh, restaurants. Now, to begin with, Truett knew that to succeed, you needed to start small and grow slowly. He makes the point, and there was really no need for me to quote, but I'll still just quote it from page 17. Um, he made the point that many businesses failed because individuals want to start big. He says, to succeed, we knew we had to start small and grow slowly. This is where so many startup companies today make their mistake. Dreamers dream big, and they want to reach their goals quickly. He says, there's nothing wrong with big dreams, but my experience tells me that we are more likely to reach our dreams if we climb with care and caution, putting one foot in front of the other. And then he says, to some, this may be the biggest sacrifice of all, giving up the dream of instant success. So that's the first thing that we learn from him. It is primarily the aspect that Start small. Don't rush. As you go on to see, for many years, from 1946 to perhaps 1967, so it's, it's quite a number of years there, over 25 years, he was running only two restaurants. Two. But behind the scenes, we noticed that for a number of years, he was developing this sandwich. And having developed it, the next stage was to make other people sell it. And it wasn't until he was quite frustrated that he then began opening these shops. Okay, so that's the first. Uh, second is that Truett was himself a very committed person. Whatever he joined or began, by personality, he gave everything or nothing. He was not the kind of person who joined something and then, you know, he's half asleep in the backyard or in the back seat. 
he, he threw everything into it. Let me uh, quote from this book again. And what I love about it is his spirituality comes through as well. He says, when we are fully committed to something, we are not likely to give up or be discouraged. It works in our business life as well as in our personal relationships rather, and our personal relationship to Jesus Christ. When you are fully committed, you see strange and unusual things happen that otherwise wouldn't if you were not committed. That's been a key to my life, a key to success. When you are fully committed, you are not likely to fail. So as a result of this, when Truett began now franchising out these restaurants, remember, he began with his own in 1967 and then began to multiply these restaurants. The main thing he wanted from his uh, restaurant operators, the main thing was commitment. Commitment. It wasn't the initial start-up money. Other restaurants like McDonald's, you'd be paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to become a franchise owner. Not so with him. I mentioned the amount of money, uh, amount of money already there. So one of the requirements he had of franchise owners is that it should be your only business. Your only business. So if you had other businesses, close them down. This should be your only business. And you must be at the restaurant yourself. You must be mingling with your, your customers, yourself, you are there. And he said, you know, if, if, when they're interviewing somebody and they offer him the opportunity to say, okay, you know, um, could you be a restaurant owner? If the person says something like, I'll give it a try, he said, that's it, I'll close the issue. Because anybody who's trying to give something a try is not worth remaining with. He, he, he wanted full commitment from them. I've already mentioned when I was answering the Q&A earlier that Truett only asked $5,000 for people to pay uh, in order for them to become operators of uh, these um, businesses. Um, also, one of the um, principles he had for running his restaurants as they were multiplying is that of keeping things simple, keeping things simple. And he said there were three things. In fact, I'll quote to you in a moment. One was great tasting food. Great tasting food. Number two, a clean and wholesome environment. And then number three, great customer service. Just those three. Good food, Hygienic environment, interpersonal relations with your clients. Um, he says this in his book. <clears throat> As we built Chick-fil-A over the years, the unexpected opportunities we encountered created many complex situations. The company grew to what it is today this was 2007, by the way, uh, seven years before he died, because of hardworking people who understood the complexity, notice, complex situations, now complexities of operations, legal, marketing, personnel, real estate, and other issues. Every day, though, notice the though, we remember that Chick-fil-A sandwich is really a simple concept. The sandwich, simple. 
We take advantage of our greatest opportunities when we keep it simple, focusing on serving great tasting food in a clean, wholesome environment with great customer service. Now listen to this. That hasn't changed in 61 years that I've been in the restaurant business. Same approach throughout. He was not keen for long-term planning, which his children were trying to get him into. So they would say that when he was in these management planning meetings, and they're coming out with plans that are supposed to go on for years, they noticed how he just went blank. He lost interest. And he would say to them, you know, sort of get over that. Because for him, he, he wanted to take advantage of unexpected opportunities. He had his ears to the ground. So when there were changes taking place, he wanted to maximize on those. And he knew that if we had invested into something that is rather long-term, it would be very difficult to make the shift when it was necessary to do so. And then comes the question that was also raised to do with Sundays and so on. Truett always insisted that his company should focus not on profits, but on people. Not on profits, but on people. And therefore, he was huge on courtesy. Remember that aspect that was mentioned earlier on great customer service. So as a businessman, his issue was not so much how much are we going to make this year and let's go for it. It was always how, what else can we do so that we never lose a client. To him, the biggest disaster in business was when a customer moves from his business to another restaurant. That's the biggest loss. And he always wanted to address the why question. Customer satisfaction was very important to him. And it was not simply because the more customers you have, the more money you brought in. No. It was always concentrate on the people. The margin line would take care of itself. So, courtesy was all important. He says this. Be kind to your customers. It's the key to success. Like the biblical commandment, there it is again, you know, the Bible factoring it in. To love your neighbor as yourself. All the other instructions for, for success in the restaurant business or any other business hangs on this one. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says you can't beat the golden rule as a business philosophy. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He says one of the years when they met their operators, remember those retreats we were talking about earlier, one of the years, the theme for that annual business uh, seminar was this. Courtesy is cheap, but it pays great dividends. Courtesy is cheap but it pays great dividends. He says that, you know, because they, they, they work it into not just top management, but all the way to the least workers in employment, um, one young man who was a waiter at one time as they are, he was saving the, 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 the customer with the meal, when the, the, the customer expressed, you know, finished eating and was ready to pay, the waiter said to that customer, it's okay, I'll pay your bill for you. 
this customer, it says he was completely astounded. Nothing that had ever happened to him. He asked the waiter if he had understood correctly. And the young man answered and said, yes, it's my Christmas gift to you. This information got to him through the, the, the same client. So he, he inquired later on from that same client, and the client became such a loyal uh, client to this uh, particular restaurant that his testimony was shared everywhere he went. Every, in fact, he was saying that this person became our cheerleader for our restaurant because of this, what, what this young man had said. He said that they, they, they taught their, their waiters and everybody in the business to smile at clients, to just smile and to, to say thank you whenever you know, they finish any transaction. Thank you uh, was the way they were to, to reply. On one occasion, he went to a hotel and as uh, the, the person was serving him, when he said thank you to him, the person answered, my pleasure. He thought, you know what? I'm introducing that to our business. And so he introduced that to all of them, that instead of just saying thank you, they should say, it's my pleasure. So he talks about this uh, in his book. He says, my pleasure, in quotation marks, is more than a requirement or an operating standard. It is more than a personal request from Truett. My pleasure, again in quotation marks, is an expression from the heart of a team member, an operator, or a staff member, and literally shows that they want to go the extra mile. Now, this extra mile phrase, he also got it from the Bible. I think you remember this from the Sermon on the Mount. And he introduced it as part of his philosophy in these restaurants. We'll come to that in a moment. It's not perfunctory, not simply fulfilling an expectation, but it's an expression of hospitality. It shows that they care about another person. They have enough value in the other person to go above and beyond, to exceed expectations. When that sort of servant spirit and second mile service orientation is built into the team, they have that feeling with one another, not just the customer, and it can be powerfully motivating. So that is the atmosphere that was consequently built around his business. And especially this second mile service that Jesus spoke about, that, you know, when soldiers who are, who've occupied your land, when they force you to take their katundu one mile, he says, say to them, okay, so this is where you want me to take it? Yes. Okay, I'll take it further for you. And that shocked them. Wow! I, I, I thought I was abusing you. Or if they demand your jacket, even your what we call swine, you know, that kind of inside thing, you also give it to them. You go an extra mile. And so he worked that into the business and developed extensive training programs, workshops, clinics, motiv and motivational recognitions. In other words, when customers reported back about their members of staff who were going this extra mile, at the end of every year, they were given awards of various types to recognize them for the extra effort they are making. And that information would be passed into these workshops and clinics and so on 
uh, training programs so that others were also motivated to go the extra mile. Still, to do with his uh, business uh, philosophy, his operators, that is those who own restaurants, were mostly chosen from the community that the restaurant would be in. So in other words, you can't be a businessman in Indola and then open a Chick-fil-A restaurant in Kabwata. He wanted individuals from Kabwata to open the restaurant in Kabwata. And there will be individuals who are well known in the churches within Kabwata because they already are exuding with that testimony and that personality. Individuals who are known in the community itself, sorry, this uh, little thing here seems to be. So people who are already well known in, in the community and in the schools in the community because they are already outgoing. They, they, they are concerned about the people already. And consequently, those would be the individuals that would be chosen in order for them to, to run these operations. And as I said, he would insist, any other businesses you're involved in, shut them down. This must be your one business. And the thing that he wanted to see from them was that while they were running these businesses, they were continuing to build relationships with their customers. So as customers joined their loyalty programs, when, for instance, it was their birthdays, the manager would actually send a handwritten birthday card to their clients. Now imagine getting cards handwritten from the, 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 the manager of this particular restaurant that you eat from in your neighborhood. And even in due season, they opened what in America are called drive-through restaurants. Now, in Zambia, I think we probably only have one or two of them. I know uh, KFC has opened one. I'm not exactly sure that we have any others. But basically, the concept is instead of you going out of your car and going into a restaurant and making your order there, you remained in your car. And part of it, obviously, has to do with uh, the weather and then also just making sure people are moving faster than you can contain within your, your shop and so on. So with your car, you, you drive up to a, a display that has all the menus and so on, like the one inside the shop. So you choose what you want, and there's a little uh, microphone into which you speak, and you say, uh, could I have uh, that hamburger plus, you know, in this case, that uh, chicken uh, sandwich with uh, one Coca-Cola and... Um, you know, chips and so on, and then they take your order and they tell you, okay, it will be, say, $5, and then you go to the next place, that's where you, you put in your payment, and by the time you get into your third window, your order is actually being given to you and you take it away. So that's the way the drive-ins generally were running. Uh, again, uh, Truett wanted to add a personal touch to these um, drive-through uh, facilities. So instead of you speaking into a machine, you actually had individuals with the iPads like this waiting for you, and they'd go, uh-huh, and then as you're making your order, they're sort of tapping in, and so on, and they tell you how much it is. You actually give them your visa card. Right there, they swap and give it to you, and as you say thank you, they say, my pleasure. So you can imagine the difference between just a screen and, you know, a, a, a board and, and individuals. And these individuals, he says, they were del deliberately, individually chosen on the basis of talent, character, and personality. So the, 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 they basically were selling your business as you just arrived because of the way in which they ordered themselves. The other thing is uh, 
he, he led by example by investing in the managers and restaurants and himself showing that he was interested in them as people, as individuals, rather than simply a means of income. So he was very deliberate there. Uh, for instance, something that we shall see again was that he, he noticed that 70% of the employees in his shops, rather in his restaurants, were below the age of 21. So they were young people. So what he deliberately did was to start giving them scholarships so that as they are working, they are studying and therefore they are improving themselves. And it was in millions and millions of US dollars as we shall go on to see uh, a little later. In 2002, when the US Congress was very concerned about poor business ethics in a lot of big companies in America. Um, there were scandals after scandals after scandals that investigative journalists were unearthing. And the government was now very concerned. They invited Truett Cathy to, to address the Congress on how are you maintaining such high business ethics when so many of uh, big business uh, people at your level are being caught with, with such um, underhanded scandals? This is what he said to them. This is in Congress, the equivalent of speaking to Parliament in Zambia. He says, I am deeply disturbed, as you are, by the lack of character I see in marketplaces. In order to satisfy the increased pressure for greater profits, some business leaders are making bad choices that ultimately hurt thousands of employees, stockholders, and the economy. We all know that the scorecard of any business is the profit it produces. And then he means that statement, without profit we cannot take care of our employees, our families, or contribute to the betterment of our com com communities. This is what he's saying in front of parliament, coming to Zambia. The question is, how do we balance the pursuit of profit and personal character? And then he says to them, for me, I find that that balance by applying biblical principles. I see no conflict between biblical principles and good business practice. I already quoted this. We try to operate, we, we have tried to operate Chick-fil-A that way from the beginning. In fact, when it was mentioned to him this aspect of uh, um, you know, business ethics, this is what he says. <laughs> after, I, after agreeing to appear before you today, this is the way he began his statement, I had to ask myself, what's the meaning of business ethics? I concluded there's no, there's really no such thing as business ethics. There's only personal ethics. I believe no amount of business school training or work experience can teach what is ultimately a matter of personal character. Businesses are not dishonest or selfish. People are. Thus a business, successful or not, is merely a reflection of the character of its leadership. So, as a businessman, that's the way he thought. 
that this is not about making money. And unfortunately, even us as Christians, as we are beginning our tuntembas, little businesses, that's the way we normally think. What can I do to make money? What can I do to make money? What can I do to make money? And that becomes divorced of our Christianity completely. Whereas he was thinking, let me love my neighbors as I love myself. And even when he went into the restaurant business, remember, his joy lay in the way he used to cook and serve borders. And he thought, if I could do this for the rest of my life, wow. Quickly, the growth of Chick-fil-A itself. So we've seen his model of operation, his, his business philosophy. What then happened as it went into uh, Chick-fil-A? Well, first of all, in a sense, it was at the right time when he went into chicken. Because over the next 30 years, the eating habits of Americans shifted to a large extent from uh, meat or beef to, to chicken. Um, he says, let me see if I, I, I have it here. Um, in terms of percentage, yes, I have it here. Over 30 years, beginning in 1970, so this is like three years after he opened his first Chick-fil-A restaurant, consumption of beef per person dropped 15% of beef. While consumption of poultry, which is chicken, more than doubled, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And then he says, in these same years, these same 30 years, Chick-fil-A experienced tremendous growth from six restaurants to 958 restaurants. So again, it was a business that took place at about the right time. The second was these malls that began. Because now, if you put a restaurant into a mall, you literally had tens of thousands of people passing by the actual front of your shop as they are doing their shopping. So that also contributed to the, the, the movement that took place there. So by 1985, he had 330 shops, or rather uh, restaurants, in shopping malls. 330 of them. And it was only after that that in 1984, he then began these stand-alone restaurants where he, he got land and built an actual restaurant or in some places modified an actual building that was there on its own. How did he come up with uh, the, the operators? They would have thousands of people that would apply to become operators, thousands. And it was quite a task to reduce that. Initially, they would have like 30 that they would choose out of those thousands a year. In due season, it reached about 50 a year. And then the whole process of selection would take up sometimes up to one year. And it was taking them through a lot of uh, rigor. And again, you can understand, because if, if you're going to run my business and you just pay 100 kwacha for it, obviously I'm going to go through quite a lot of checks and training and so on and choose out of 5,000 just a handful. And I'm, I must be doubly sure of them. And the most successful guys would be those who, are real, who, who have worked in Chick-fil-A themselves. So they were already part of a team and were serving. And they did so well that 
the operator actually recommends them to the head office that they could now run their own enterprise. And it was because he could see that they've also, they've definitely bought into the value, uh, the, that the values that were there belonging to them. Um, or a number of these restaurant owners, like himself, employed their own relatives, their children, their nephews, and so on. And he, he had no qualms whatsoever. He was joking, saying, in some businesses, they say, never employ relatives, never employ relatives. He says, in ours, we want the relatives, want the relatives. <laughs> uh, because they've worked there, they're also blood-related to these individuals, and so on. So they, they've been brought up with those same values, and therefore, we are likely to, to have individuals that will succeed. Um, now, in terms of sharing of money, although you only paid $5,000 to run a franchise, you paid 15% of your gross sales, not your profit, your gross sales. In other words, it's a lot more. Whatever you sell over a month, 15%, and it's gross, not after you've deducted the cost of electricity, rentals, whatever, gross. 15% of that went to head office, that is, to uh, Chick-fil-A HQ. And then, once you have declared your profits, which would normally be at the end of every year, once you've declared your profits, and uh, they've taken away all the costs of business and so on, 50% of those profits were also shared with headquarters. 50% of that. So basically, you shared into half at that point. You, the owner, and also the uh, Chick-fil-A headquarters. And that's the reason why Chick-fil-A headquarters was able to maintain the huge workforce that is there. And his philosophy with respect to headquarters was quite simple. If you are not selling chicken sandwiches, you must be supporting those who are selling chicken sandwiches. That's your job here, is to make sure that those guys who are selling chicken sandwiches can depend on you 100%. So headquarters handled all the marketing, handled all the training, handled all queries that would come from these simple restaurant owners. The, um, uh, what do you call it, the, the computer software that they would use, the programs, the accounting packages, everything like that was all being done from HQ. And therefore, a, a restaurant owner was never alone. He knew that HQ backed him 100%. Um, and then, still talking about the growth, um, let's see how fast I can run. Um, through it, attracted clients by giving free food, giving free food. So he would be, he, he would go to, for instance, we talked about Ford Assembly, and give them samples to eat. And as they are eating, he would be saying to them, come and try us out. This is what we are offering and so on. So a lot of these individuals, once they would test, and the test buds are dancing, they would make their way to his, uh, uh, his, his restaurant. And he, he, he developed that even with the franchises. Because the franchise owners would be individuals in the community, the, the operators, as you would call them, would be given cards. And the cards had the words, be our guest on them. So they were like business cards. So as uh, the, the franchise owner, I'm just getting out one of my, my cards here, as the franchise owner is visiting or doing anything in the community, he would hand these over to the guys and say, here, a free meal. 
And so the individuals would obviously pass through uh, Chick-fil-A. Uh, and when they hand in the card, they would be given a free meal. And you can understand how, first of all, it is saying, your boss invited me here to have a meal. Okay, personally invited me to have a meal here. So that in itself ensured good service. But number two, it just made the person also feel, you know, that much special. That the owner of this place is the one that has given me to have a free meal here. So that in itself developed a loyal customer base. But he also had a real sense of humor. Um, and, and so his, his chief advertising, guys, could you put the eat more chicken on the screen here? Uh, the, the, the main way in which he was advertising had to do with cows that are saying to the people, eat more chicken. Understand? You've been eating us for too long, guys. Could you sort of move over to, to chicken? Now, I, I submitted a, a, a picture. Is anybody in the studio? It was shown earlier, eh? Okay. They will show it in a moment. And then, ah, there we are. Now, to show that, that cows don't know how to spell. <laughs> uh, this became the way in which the cows were supposed to be, you know, advertising. Uh, so the spelling is wrong deliberately. And what they would do is they would have actual human beings wearing those things. And then having these big three of them, one is eat, the other one is more, the other one is chicken. And that's the way they were um, advertising. So, hey guys, feel sorry for us. You know, you've been eating us for too long. You know, go, go after the chickens now, and so forth. Um, and on one occasion in 2017, this is of course long after he himself has died, um, oh, but I just need to say, the restaurants that performed the best in different ways, cleanliness, uh, turnover, etc., uh, etc., et would be awarded every year. So that it was motivational. And at one time, the Chick-fil-A restaurant at Auburn University campus uh, brought in, this was in 2017, brought in an income of $3 million. And by the way, as I hope to show you now, um, it's uh, gone beyond that now. Uh, the, the, the award winning, the award um, giving event which was done at the restaurant itself um, a real cow attended the event <laughs> to, to send home the signal thank you very much thank you that you are you know making sure more chickens uh, are being sold other than ourselves uh, quickly um, a number of other products were added to the, the um, sandwich. And I'll just quickly walk through them. In, in 1982, they added a Chick-fil-A nugget, which is basically just the chicken itself that is cut, and then you are able to eat them as little pieces. And it, it also went through or months, maybe not years, of trial and error through a few restaurants until they got it right and then they spread out in all across the entire chain. In 1995, they added a Chick-fil-A chicken and strip to the menu and then later on they added a Chick-fil-A waffle potato fries um, and basically instead of just one little um, potato, what do we call it here? Uh, we use another word, chips, sort of, you know, that sort of little uh, strip one. It's, it's, a little, it's like a flat thing uh, instead, and then it's got holes in it, 
and so forth. So it's, it's made a little uh, differently. So they added it to their menu. And then uh, in 2001, they added what is called the cool wraps. So it's basically, you know, the wraps that we have now. Yeah. So uh, they added that uh, and so forth. So, you know, they were adding extras after a lot of research so that the business was growing. And you notice it was taking years. So um, 82, 95, 2001, 2007, and so forth. So in 2007, um, Chick-fil-A was employing more than 50,000 people. 50,000, more than, at headquarters and also through the restaurants. Right now, as we speak, so this is now uh, after he has died, the, um, they have almost 3,000 restaurants. By the time he was dying, it was 1,008. They are now at 3,000, or well, just under 3,000 restaurants across a number of states, bringing in a, an annual income of $11 billion. $11 billion. And per restaurant, the income is roughly $4.8 million. Dollars, not quite dollars. Now, if you paid $5,000 to open a restaurant, and now you are getting $4.8 million, you, you don't mind giving $2.4 back to, to the company. <laughs> You've become an instant millionaire after giving out $5,000. And so it has been stated, not by Chick-fil-A itself, but uh, by institutions that monitor these things, that Chick-fil-A has the highest employee retention rate in the entire restaurant business in the USA. The entire restaurant business. The, the highest level of keeping employees. I think, let me pause there, because what I'm about to deal with is uh, his uh, generous giving, and let me add it to his legacy, which will be the last uh, section. So, thank you very much. Let me pause there. Q&A. Um, <clears throat> trying to emulate Truett in his generosity. We've decided to give pastor, you know, some time off. <laughs> We're going to structure our Q&A a little bit different this time. Um, you know, like the four Gospels, they're basically speaking about one individual, but they have different takes, okay? You, you read uh, the Gospel according to John. He will emphasize certain things that Matthew doesn't. Matthew emphasized certain things that John doesn't. So I thought we employ uh, that method and ask, I will ask you uh, questions on what pastor has presented. Now it could be that certain people picked up certain things that others may have not picked up. So I thought maybe that cross-pollination of ideas might steer us uh, into thinking like uh, through it. We've just been looking at uh, we've just been looking at uh, through it the businessman. So the questions will be centered on through it the businessman. Now before I get into the questions uh, we still have the table in the corner ACU they're selling some stuff. 
this is a time you can uh, buy uh, coffee, you can buy whatever they're selling at, uh, at the corner there. And uh, just make your way there quietly and come back after you have bought, sit down and participate in the Q&A. So there are two main things. Of course, Pastor mentioned quite a lot of things, but two many, two main things that I picked up and that I would like us to uh, exercise our minds in terms of remembering what Pastor said. He talked about uh, Truett's business philosophy, and he talked about uh, Truett's business model. Now, my question is, what do you remember about Truett's business philosophy? What do you remember or what stood out uh, about Truett's business philosophy? Anybody? Uh, a mic here and at the back, here in front. So since you've got the mic first, although Mr. Jacont had raised his hand, you can go ahead. Um, I think what stood out for me was the philosophy on um, customer-centric. Sorry, can you hold the Customer-centric. Uh -huh. um, what stood out was that most of the time we were worried about the margins, but for him, his philosophy was the margins would sort themselves, but the customer was important. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Um, I think from what I what I've picked up out Rana, is the principle of starting small. Um, a number of times people have ideas or we have ideas, and a number of times to implement that idea, we think of getting a big loan so that we can uh, develop that big idea. And many times we would want to start that big idea without even a single or small experience in what we want to do or start and we normally would end up in serious problems, even as Christians, and the, our testimony gets dented. So this principle of starting small, steadily growing a business, I think for me stands out very well, and it's uh, very, very important to, to follow. Thank you. Okay. So just to summarize the two answers so that everybody is on the same page, uh, Mrs. Chingambu said that uh, what stood out for her was the customer service. Uh, that equally stood out for me, my pleasure. I think those two words, though, you know, they seem small, they seem, you know, but they mean a lot. And uh, somebody who has just been served to be told it was the other person's pleasure saving them certainly makes you want to come back for some more chicken filet. Elder uh, Chaconte says, uh, do not despise the days of small beginnings. I think that is certainly a good, good lesson that uh, we must not always aim for big things. We can dream big, but we need to start small as we work our way towards uh, those big dreams. Anyone else? What? Yes, please. Uh, two mics. There's one back there and one in front here. One, Mr. Singogo there. You can go ahead, Janet. For me, what I picked out as uh, Truett's philosophy is uh, the issue of uh, one being committed. I think many a time we tend not to succeed when we start something because uh, we are not fully committed. So being fully committed despite the challenges that we might face in business is also key. Okay. Mr. Singogo. Uh, I think for me what stood out was uh, what's referred to as the, the neighbor principle. 
which basically rests on two premises. The first is uh, duty of care, and the other is uh, do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. So you, you can't miss uh, you can't miss tracing it from, from you know from the scripture. And sometimes speaking as a politician, maybe that's why Kaunda ruled for a long time. This is the principle that uh, that, that that he used. You know, so you can see that uh, that principle, the neighbor principle, is it cuts across. It, it's useful in business, and uh, for some of us who have had time to peep into the law, they will tell you that uh, even in the law, the neighbor principle is applicable. But I think this is the first time that I'm seeing the neighbor principle coming out uh, in, in in business. In law, I've seen it. You know, politics, you can see it, but I think in business, you, you see that it cuts across. Yet its origin is the scriptures. Yep, 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 yep. Um, I think uh, the, those contributions have been heard, but uh, just to perhaps sum up what has been said, uh, the neighbor uh, principle, I think it's very, very important. If you are selling, you know, chickens and you know you are feeding them, you know, all kinds of wrong things, you yourself will not eat those chickens, you sell them to other people. But if you use the principle as a Christian, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, you certainly take care of what you're feeding your chickens because you know that you are able to feed on those chickens as well. Uh, I think that is a very, very important uh, principle. Uh, now let's let, let's move to the uh, business model. The business model. What is it that you remember about the business model? Pastor talked about uh, Truett's business model. There's a hand at the back and there's a hand here in front. I'm sure you get the mic first, so you can go ahead. Uh, I think for me, uh, what I saw as Pastor was presenting was the church model, the concept of the local church, is what I see in how he expanded his business across the country. He made use of local uh, people to run his business in every locality. So it's not an idea where you bring someone from, say, Kitwe to come and run a business here in Kabwata, or in Lusaka, sorry. So he made use of the local people to run the business, and that's the idea that the, a church is modeled upon, where missionaries go to places, they plant churches, and then they made sure that the local people are the ones who run those churches. I think I, I see that in the, in the approach. Yep. Uh, the principle of um, you cannot serve two masters hold my attention so that we can be specialized in the business that we are doing. The fact that when someone had other opportunities, he says, no, you cannot take up this business. You have to either dedicate yourself into this one or you go for the whatever else you want. Sometimes we end up failing just because we are concentrated in everything else and we are not able to specialize in the one thing we want to grow on. Okay. So, specialization is very, very important. Uh, we must not uh, over-diversify. Uh, if we do diversify, it should be related to the core business so that, uh, you know, we, we are not spread too thinly. Uh, True, it did uh, diversify from the chicken fillet, from the chicken sandwich uh, to chicken nuggets, but it was related to the core business. Uh, so, yes, uh, that is uh, very true. Anybody else, what do you remember from uh, the business model that was shared? At the back there, there's a hand. Um, uh, for me, I think I like the aspect of keeping things simple. So, um, 
focusing on great tasting food, a clean environment, and a great relationship with the customers. I think uh, that really stood out for me. Okay. All right. So uh, we have come to the end of this particular question and answer.